Hey everybody, it is late June. I'm not sure what day you're getting to this, but we are the Board Game Mechanics. I'm Joel, and with me, as always, is... Hey guys, what's going on? It's Jason. And and you know what, Jason? I'm actually going to take a minute here on the top of the show and just give two real quick shout-outs. Um, first one's going to go to Jared Bloomberg, who uh, reviewed the Board Game Mechanics on Facebook. Uh, so thanks for the five-star review. And he said, we're knowledgeable and funny, good times. Most, <laughs> most importantly, they talk about happy pigs. So Jared, I really <laughs> think you're awesome. So Pandering. thanks for the... <laughs> Thanks for the five-star review there. And then also, Rhett Hutchinson, you did this a while back, um, but I want to say thanks to you, too. Uh, it's this great podcast with some good discussion. Check it out. And that was back in February when we were the February boys who weren't <laughs> anywhere near as good as we are now, so I don't think. Right. So uh, thanks for those kind words, guys. Uh, if you left us a review on iTunes, which there are several of them there, like eight or nine, we're going to get to those, too, over the next few weeks, just reading a couple of those. But just thanks for your reviews. And if you guys uh, can make it over and give us a five-star review on either of those, it really does help us grow our audience. So I really appreciate it. And I know, I know Jason does, too. I don't have to speak for you. I think you do, Jason, right? Yeah, I agree. It makes it makes us feel like we're actually doing something that is worthwhile when we can look and see some positive feedback because the internet's full of not positive feedback, so it's nice to see that every once in a while. Yep, it is. And you guys, I, I seriously, I don't say this just because you're our fans. I think The Riveted is one of the best groups of people I've ever encountered on the internet. You guys, I know it's because we're small, but uh, such a good group, you guys. All right, so I just have a couple pieces of news that I was going to talk about real quickly. Um, the first one is a new Dungeons & Dragons board game that's coming out. It is called Vault of Dragons. It takes place in Waterdeep, I believe. And from what I read, it looks like it's an area control type game, which is you know makes sense for the Dungeons & Dragons setting. But I think I also read that WizKids is selling a miniatures pack, so... You can kind of jazz up the game a little bit if you're into the miniatures thing, but Jason, you are you are so into miniatures. <laughs> yeah, you're right. I'm gonna buy like three of those those packs because I love it. If so this much. is your first episode, you don't need to listen to any of the previous episodes <laughs> because basically Jason just talks about how much he loves miniatures and all the episodes yeah. up to this point. <laughs> that's true. <laughs> so yeah, that's that game. Uh, it seems kind of fun. Uh, all the other Dungeons and Dragons board games are pretty pretty slick, so this will probably follow in the same vein. So. More of the same, but with a little different twist, I think. Yeah, I think I'm excited about this one. Just from the standpoint of uh, Lords of Waterdeep was able to uh, bring a lot of fantasy playing, like role-playing game players into board gaming. So I know a lot of my D&D friends were like, hey, a D&D board game, what's this all about? And they knew Waterdeep, they actually like, I had one friend that was able to tell me about the Harpers and like all the different groups and all the different character cards. He knew all the lore from the books and stuff. And so they stayed true to it. So it kept him engaged, but it also introduced him to worker placement and made him a fan of more board game things. And he actually was like, whoa, there's some cool board game things happening. So if this one does the same thing with area control, I'm pretty excited. D&D is a pretty familiar uh, theme. So yeah, I think that works well to bring non-board gamers into the hobby for sure. Yeah, I agree 100%, Jason. All right, so the next piece of news I have is something I feel like I need to talk about because I have girls, and there was a harassment issue that happened at Origins, and it's kind of going around the internet. I'm not going to re- rehash the whole thing. You'll find it if you go look on a, a group. But basically, all I wanted to touch on was this is a hobby of inclusivity, however you say that, and for being some of the most, trying to be some of the most inclusive people, we sure can be non-inclusive at times and not think about what we're doing. So I just wanted to 
say maybe think a little bit before you um, say something or do something. Just make everybody feel welcome and have fun gaming. That's what it's all about, having fun. So I'm not going to go into too much more detail, but I just felt like I needed to put that plea out there since I have two little girls. And I mean, I'm not going to disagree with you, Jason. I'm going to say that um, definitely you've had personal experiences at Origins of misogyny. And um, I know that I have seen people who are totally misogynistic about stuff that happens at cons or in board game groups. So it certainly does happen. The only thing that I don't like about these kinds of news pieces is there's such a disproportionate amount of coverage of this compared to how much of it is actually happening. So, I mean, the fact of the matter is, this is how all media is. I mean, like, out of 100 gamers, guy gamers, 98 of us are awesome and two suck. And the two that suck kind of give the other 98 of us a bad name. So, I guess I'm totally with you, Jason, that we need to be inclusive and not be stupid. And really, the 98 of you that are awesome are going to hear this and be like, yeah, definitely. And the two that the two that aren't cool, you don't understand that you're not cool. Like, you don't get that you are the two. So, maybe look at yourself right. a little bit and say... Am I as welcoming as I can be at the table? Am I saying things that aren't terrible assumptions, putting the worst case scenario forward for this person? Um, just stuff like that, you know? And I mean, like, I don't know. I think everyone has prejudices. Everyone has biases in their minds. But like when you take those biases and prejudices in your mind and then you think about them and act on them in a way that excludes people with intention behind it, that's terrible. Like there's no excuse for that. And the two of you that are doing that, you suck. Like, you really do suck. And, like, it really sucks that you're making guys like the entire Riveted and Jason and I seem like we're jerks. And there's already this stereotype that I feel like we kind of have to overcome as gamers. Like, when people who aren't in the gaming world or know how mainstream or big the gaming world's become, when people find out I have a huge board game collection or I play D&D, they immediately assume that I'm, like, I eat, you know, six bags of Cheetos and, and drink a case of Mountain Dew and, like, never yeah. wash. I mean, like, so, like... When these kinds of things happen, it perpetuates a stereotype that just really sucks. And like, I know you work hard and I work hard to not be this person. And I work really hard to try and, you know, be be inclusive and not be exclusive at all. Yeah. And I mean, it also goes behind the, the male and female thing. It's, you know, you could disagree with people politically or on a whole bunch of other levels. So I think we just need to, when you're playing games, you need to put all that stuff behind you and just play a game and have fun. I mean, treat everybody like you want to be treated and... The, that's really all I want to say about it, but it just needed to be touched on. Yep. And like, even if you don't think a person does deserve respect, give them respect. Hey, before we get into games played, uh, Jason, you better leave this in this podcast. Jason's picking up the editing like pretty heavily for the next month or so, just because my schedule doesn't allow it a ton. And um, he did the last episode too, which I'm sure was an absolute chore to edit. Um, but you did an amazing job. I was really proud of that last podcast. I think it was done really incredibly well. And so excellent job on that editing, Jason. I just wanted to like acknowledge that publicly, that you did an excellent job on the editing. And I'm sure that you'll do a great job on the editing of these next few episodes. And I mean, like, I think I'm not trying to say I have edited all the episodes or anything like that. Like, I hope that didn't come across. Jason's probably done more episodes than I have in total, too. So Jason, for a guy who's not really known audacity at all before January or so, you've become kind of a wizard and you're doing really great with it. So good job, man. Thanks. It's just my OCD, I think, that kicks in and I have to have it sounding like the way that I'd want to listen to it. So it's, just, it's fun. Yeah, no, you do a great job. Um, 
So, I mean, like, and my only goal in this is I don't want people to be like, oh, that was a Joel episode. Like, so, like, <laughs> I'm just trying to keep up with you at this point. No, I mean, like, I don't know. I've, I've edited probably in total 50 podcasts, 50 podcasts at this point, and, um, like, episodes of podcasts. And, like, I don't know, the novelty is way gone for me. And, like, I'm sure it's getting there for you. Uh, but there's definitely times where I'm like, all right, I'm sure that this piece of, audio for the next five minutes is great. I'm going to skip ahead. So, I mean, I don't know. And that's yeah, why that's, I get in trouble sometimes. That, that's where that's like, dangerous. we have to, that's where we have to pull our episodes. Cause you have some like really horrible thing you said about settlers of Catan or something. And I don't want to lose all the listeners or maybe, yeah. maybe that's this episode. I don't know. We'll find out, I guess. Yeah, we'll find out. Um, so what did I play this week? Uh, getting back to that. Um, I, all right, I'm not going to lie. I was going to like lie and act like I've already played these, but I've just read over the rules because I just picked them up. I had a chance to go to Noble Knight Games, um, which is in Wisconsin. I mean, like that place is amazing, but it's an online retailer. So like, I know that like Cool Stuff has an awesome retail location and Miniature Market has a pretty good retail location. This one doesn't have an amazing one. It has a good one, um, but they do have a couple of computers set up so you can just like search their database. And if they have it in the warehouse, they'll go grab it for you. So that's kind of nice. But they only had maybe 100 to 200 games out on the shelves. Um, but out of those 200 games, I saw two things there that I was pretty interested in. And I went ahead and picked them up. The first one was uh, Custom Heroes. So I picked that up. And actually, I kind of played a game by myself of it last night a little bit. Just like, you know, if you're listening to this podcast, you're probably hardcore enough that you know what I'm talking about that like we set up a game for two players and play it ourselves, like as both players. Like I know you do it, Jason, and I definitely do it as well. Yep. But yep. um I played a game of that by myself last night and it's actually pretty neat. It takes that card crafting system and it makes it into a trick taking game, which is actually kinda interesting. And it's a trick taking game that almost is like it plays like teach you or something. So it's like if you have you know, like two fives, then the next person has to have two sixes and so on and so forth. And basically, if you win the trick, the round of tricks, then you get to draw a certain number of card like upgrades out of this bag, plus get certain currency. Um, but you slide these little card overlays in over your characters. And the reason why you want to overpower things or underpower things is because you want to try and get as many of the same numbers as you can because that's really powerful. So like if you can get six of a kind or something, man, you're going to be super powerful and hard for people to beat. So... Um, and then if you get a certain number of the currency and you play all the cards in your hand in one round, you win. So it's also, you're trying to get rid of all your cards by like being able to have them work to keep upping the ante kind of thing. So, uh, matching the numbers is really kind of the name of the game and it's got some really funny things on it. So like some of the things you can slide in, make you more powerful. So like there's one that's like a boxing glove that you put in your character and it makes them one more powerful. But then there's things like teddy bears that, or like sock puppets that you can put on your characters like so you have these like heroes that are posed all the same and then when you slide the overlay like their hands get things on them and one of the things you can get is a sock puppet that puts you put on your character's hand and it makes them like three weaker which is kind of funny to me so i mean it's just it's kind of a cool little game but you're just trying to modify these cards to basically make yourself have the best teach you hand almost um over the course of like six or seven rounds um pretty neat little game and it's pretty cheap too i think it's in the 20s of 20s of dollars like when this game first got announced, I don't remember when it came out. I'm thinking it might have been Gen Con last year, or I kind of almost remember us talking about it when it came out. I don't know. Anyway, when it came out, um, which it's fairly recent, I remember thinking, oh man, another big box uh, card crafting game, just what I need, right as I just picked up Mystic Veil. Um, so it was one of those things <laughs> of like feeling upset that I'm going to like have the obsolete one that no one wants anymore. Well, I think these games are totally not even the same thing at all. They're 
very different games. Um, this is kind of a small box too. There's only like maybe 80 cards in the in the whole game. So, um, but pretty neat little game, Custom Heroes. That's cool. Yeah, I want to check that one out. It seems a little more interesting theme-wise than Mystic Veil to me. Yeah, definitely. And like your wife would be into it too. I'm not saying this because she's a woman or anything like that. Like I know that's enough heated stuff going on um, with that this week. <laughs> your wife would like it because um, it's got that Japanese theme that she loves so much. So the instructions are actually primarily written in Japanese, and then you have to like flip the book around and like read the English English translation of the of the things. So it's really cool. Like it's not. Even, it's kind of anime, but it's a neat art direction they went with it too. Yeah, that is cool. That's the one that has like the Japanese title on it, right? Yeah, exactly. And, and like big orange letters or whatever yeah, characters, exactly. I guess. Yep. I didn't play a game like that, but I did play a kind of an old game, I guess, and it's called For Sale. Oh, I love that game. <laughs> yeah, I'd never played it before. Seriously? And yeah, I'd never played it because I didn't know anybody that had it, but Jim and Kim had the little tiny one. That's, that's what like, I have too. I that's like, the best one. Yeah. And that had the coins are like punched out of a card uh-huh. or something uh-huh yeah so so basically what you're doing is you're bidding with like these coins that you have to get these properties from like a cardboard box to like a mansion they range from i think zero to 30 you're going to do that over six rounds and then you're going to sell those buildings to get in a, the second phase of the game you're going to sell those buildings to get money cards and you're trying to get the best money cards you can with the buildings so but you can pass on bidding and you can just take the lowest card. Yeah. It's your choice. So maybe you're just like, well, I'm going to keep all my money for points at the end of the game. So you can start the in-game scoring with $14,000. But you're going to have all the crappy buildings like the outhouse and the bo- the cardboard box. Yeah. <laughs> so you're trying to decide, well, if there's all high money in the second round and you're playing the low card, you're still going to get a decent amount of money. So it's kind of like a, a give and take, kind of knowing when to play cards. Yeah, it was super fun. I was actually... I liked it way more than I feel like I should have, for sure. Yeah, I've played this game probably 50 times, and it's my, like, go-to filler. I love it so much. Um, but it's basically, like, it's basically like you're doing an auction to get cards for a trick-taking phase is really the <laughs> yeah. mechanics of it. But yeah. then um, the, thing that, the thing that you mentioned, okay, so, like, the houses are ranked, like, there's, like, this space station that's, like, a 30, and then the outhouse right. is, like, a zero, right, or a one. But, like, if yeah, you pass, like you can take the crappiest one, like you said. So here's the thing. Sometimes the cards just randomly flop out that you're selling your house to. So it's like there's, like, three random buyers or however many players there are random buyers. And those random buyers, like, are willing to pay these fixed amounts for your houses. So sometimes, like, the highest amount is 15000 So sometimes you can have, like, a 15000 flop out with a 13000 and, like, a 12000 And, like... So the worst case scenario, you're going to get like a 13,000. So like you play that zero card and you get 13,000, which is like pretty <laughs> right, awesome. Yeah. So um, yep. So it's really about like the other thing too, like strategy wise, man, we got to talk about this one for the Hall of Fame at some point. Um, like strategy wise, it's really you're kind of looking at how much sp- spread is on the numbers. So like you play your best cards when like there's a 15,000 and a zero out at the same time because you don't want someone to get, you know, 15,000 more points than you because right, you right, right. missed it by a couple points. The other thing that's really fun to do in that game is like the f- I always do this too. So I'm giving away all my pro strats if I ever play with you guys. Like the first round, I'll bid like insane, like an insane amount, like four. And then like sometimes I get outbidded, outbid, and outbidded. 
that's a new <laughs> one for us all. Outbidded. Um, <laughs> Outbidded. But but I uh, I'll get outbid and I'll be totally content and happy with that because the rest of the game I'm barely gonna bid anything until everyone else like uses up all their money. So that's what happens then is like people blow their money in the first three or four auctions. And then, and then, uh, and then you basically can come in and like buy things for like three coins that was going for like six or seven earlier in the game. Now, the other kind of cool thing too with this is if you don't win the auction, if you bow out, you have to pay your lowest bid divided by two rounded up, I think. So, I mean, like if you bid, if you bid seven, you'd have to pay four basically. So yeah, great game, Jason. I love this game. I'm so happy you played it. Yeah. I, I was trying to decide if I liked it better than Biblios or not, but. I don't know. I, I need to play it again to make that determination. It's it's way lighter than Biblios, I think. Yeah, um, that's true. And like, actually, the I know they get compared a lot, but the two phases of the game are a little different too. Like, you actually get yeah. an auction to kind of do the first one, as opposed to in Biblios, where you're basically just like like you're allocating cards to different places. You know what I mean? Right, right, right. So yeah, I don't know. Yeah. I think I think for sales, way more accessible. Like this is something that I've played with my when he was still alive. My ninety year old grandpa played this game with us. So I mean, like. Of course, he was a mean rook player, too, so he might have been able to pick this up pretty <laughs> right. quick, but yeah. Jason, my second game is Watson and Holmes, and this is basically the Baker Street Consulting Detectives game, but they've made it competitive instead of uh, cooperative. So there's different locations you're going to to like try and kind of gather information, and then you actually place bids to go to different spots, too. So if you really think that a place, is, a place is really important to go, you can kick somebody out by paying a little bit of money. And there can be like some kind of like control things with auctions there. But it's kind of neat. It's the same basic idea as the Baker Street, like read these articles and try and you know solve the riddle and then deduce like who did it and whatever happened there. But instead of trying right. to, you know, like on the, on the consulting detective, you basically are going against like an AI as a team. You're going against like... Sherlock Holmes, who's like, at the end of it, he's going to be like, you guys are idiots because this, this, and this, <laughs> I all knew, and you guys didn't know it, and that's why I would have saw this eight eight rounds earlier than you guys, whatever, whatever. Well, right, this one, yeah. you're not playing yeah. against him, you're playing against each other. So, like, you can just feel like an idiot from your friends instead of from an AI, so that's pretty cool. Yeah, that game seems kind of interesting because it's actually a game. Yeah. Because you're, like, putting workers on spaces and taking actions and stuff, but, yeah, Consulting Detective is just basically you're reading it's, it's like a choose activity. your own adventure type thing yeah yeah it's an activity and like when i first got that game consulting detective like i that's one of those ones too that i like totally utilized buying the asari or whatever copy of it the reprint when it was really cheap and knowing that they right i thought it was a cool game like i saw this the shut up and sit down guys um review it and i thought oh this looks like fun like my wife might be into it well i tried it one time and then like i knew that usari or usardi or whatever the name of the company is is notorious for shorting print runs so it's like i'm gonna wait for this thing to be like pretty sought after and put it up for trade and i got a really good trade out of it but i think you're exactly right like it doesn't that one doesn't feel like a game as much as this one does and like i don't know it adds more tension with the idea that you might lose to someone else instead of we may not solve this thing as quick as we might have otherwise you know so yeah I agree. That's a good pick. I would try that one for sure. Would so you? You you have it? Is that yep, what you said? I do have it. I picked it up at Noble Knight. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I'd like to try that one. I think Katie kind of wants to play that one, too. Yeah, Katie's going to destroy us at it, though. I mean, honestly, like... <laughs> yeah, probably. <laughs> Katie gets talked about a lot on this podcast, and like I think it's almost always positive, but she's really smart. Like She's really smart at deduction and like logic kind of things, and... And multitasking, which I think this game would really like utilize all those kinds of intelligence, honestly. So I'd play with her, right, but yeah. I know we're going to get destroyed. 
Yeah, I did beat her at a game today, so that was Ooh. that was fulfilling for sure. What'd you guys play? <laughs> Zombie dice. Oh, so the game yeah. that has everything to do with like pushing your luck and random <laughs> luck, you beat your wife out. Okay, good job, yep, Jason. Yep. I'll, get, come get your participation trophy. <laughs> yeah. Hey, I gotta take the take some joy out of some kind of win. It doesn't happen too often. Well, that's cool, man. I'm glad you won. Yeah, but that's not the second game I want to talk about. Uh, the second game I want to talk about, I was going to talk about a different one, but we just played this one too, so I'll talk about this. And the game is called The Cherry Tree That Blossoms Once Every Ten Years. I don't know if you check this out at Origins, but essentially what it is, it's a push-your-luck game where you're drawing these little flower petals out of this bag. Is that the name of the game, or is it... You know, that's legitimately the name of the game. It's really long like that. Because you talked to me about it at Origins, and I thought it was like... You were describing the game. Not like with, <laughs> no. Like I thought, oh, Lotus or something. I don't know. Whatever the name of the no. game was. That's really the name of the game. Yeah, it's obscenely long. but It's descriptive. Yeah, true. You're drawing out of this bag. You can draw three times, and you can draw a maximum of eight flower petals. So what happens is you're going to say how many you draw. So say I say three. I'll take three out. If at any time I get three of the same color petals, I bust. Hmm. And... It's a set collection game where you're trying to collect sets in front and behind your little player screen. So the way you score in each area scores differently. So if you bust, you can only put things out in the front. So you, in order to not bust, you can never get three of the same color. So you eventually have to stop so you can get some stuff behind your screen to even be in the running to get behind your screen points. And there's like three little cards out in the middle that if you draw certain types of stuff out of the bag, you get special actions you can take. It's a really fun little game, like 20 minutes. Man, it is tense and like so frustrating. <laughs> it's such a good little game. It sounds it sounds pretty cool, man. That like push your luck, but then don't push it too far or else you have to have this huge handicap kind of thing yeah. almost. So that's pretty cool. Literally, the box is four player screens, a bag, and like 50 little flower petals. That's it. That's all that's in that game. <laughs> and it's in a Gloomhaven size box, is what you said? <laughs> no, it's in like a a little tiny box. It's it's a yellow game too, which is kind of huh. weird because it's not it's not like the what they usually do, which is interesting. Yellow is really clever at marketing their games and has really great art and production values. So for them to call a game the tree that blooms once every ten years and you need to <laughs> put the petals on it. Because that's the name of the game, is the game name. It's like a weird thing for them to name a game. Yeah, it's really weird. The artwork is beautiful, though. It's a beautiful looking game. Outside of the long title, it's definitely a really sweet little game, though. Could be because we're running out of trademarks because we're in such a board game boom right now <laughs> that like all the cool names are gone now. Like we've reached the end of good yeah. names. So, <laughs> so um, now we have to start start making sentences as game titles. So I feel like I would do our listeners a disservice if I didn't go back to this. So the version of For Sale you played, Jason, is the best version um, because those linen cards in there are awesome. Like the card quality on the Tiny Travel Edition is amazing. And then those like... So here's another thing. Your money is hidden knowledge. So having those little tiny paper monies that are super thin actually I think is better because you can hold them in the palm of your hand and not have to worry about like having thick cardboard money. So anyway, that was my ADD kicking in there, but just talking about how <laughs> passionately I love the game for sale. It's seriously one that if you haven't played it, like you, I bought the travel edition. I mean, like I was, a, I, I, okay. So I played the game for sale, thought it was good. Didn't see all the depth into it, but then I saw it for like seven bucks or something for that little travel edition at miniature market one time. And it's like, I need the extra seven bucks to, 
to fulfill this order. So I put it in there. And I think that little travel edition is dollar for dollar one of the best games you can get, honestly. So anyway. Have you played the non-travel edition? Yeah. Is it a lot different? No. The cards are just a thicker card, but they aren't. Like I, pre- I think it's called linen finish with those like little ribs in it. Like you know what I'm talking about. Yeah. I like yeah. linen finish better personally. They feel better in my hands. And then the cardboard money is just standard like cardboard money, like coins. Oh, I got. So it. I, got I mean, like yeah. And that whole series of games from from Eagle Griffin, those bookshelf games are all really good. I mean, money is really excellent. And some of those games are so good and were so overlooked. Because Eagle Griffin mismanaged them so badly. They're getting reprints right. now by like Simon in different places. Like Modern Art was in there. And like it was all the rage when Simon came out with their edition that was no different at all. So I mean, like, I don't know. Um, just a really cool game, Jason. Good pick. I, I like such a good pick. I had to go back and talk about it a second time. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I didn't want to play it either, but I'm glad I did for sure. Yeah. I mean, like, it's, it's a rock solid game. And just the art's really cute too. So if you would have moved that back to when we were talking about for sale, you can do that if you want to. But I mean, it's kind of, I don't know. It's naturally who I am, I guess. So yeah, I, I, it, it makes sense with the rest of our podcast. So it's fine. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's uh, the ADHD boy and the OCD boy. <laughs> yep. <laughs> All right. So we haven't put a game. Well, we haven't given a wrench rating to a game in a while, so we figured it was time. Um, so today, we're going to talk about the game Catan, or as it used to be called, Settlers of Catan, or Catan, however you want to say it. I don't really know or care, but yeah. we're going to talk about that game, give our rating, and see if it makes it into the Hall of Fame. I think if you're from the Midwest in a state north of, um, ah, let's go with Indianapolis, if Indianapolis isn't a state, but if you live north of Indianapolis and you're in the Midwest, you do the nasally like Chicago Catan. And like if you're from like anywhere else in the world, you call it Catan. So anyway. Yeah, I can see that. <laughs> yeah. So um, let's get started. Um, let's talk about, well, I'll give a quick overview of what the game is first, I guess. So Catan is essentially a resource management game where you're collecting resources by rolling dice. And then you're using those resources to build buildings, build settlements, and trade with other players so you can have the cards you need to do what you need to do. And you're trying to be the first person to get 10 points, I believe, is the um, the number, maybe. Somewhere around there. I think it's 10. And if you roll sevens, you can get like this robber to steal goods from other people. And it's a good game. It kind of outstays its welcome. But it started a whole revolution of the Euro game in America. So, yep. That's Catan. And I think everybody you talk to is going to have played this game, or most everyone you've played, taught, will talk to has played this game. And there's definitely a wave of, uh, if you look at like Gen Con or like Origins, like existence or or participation by people, there's definitely like your pre, you know, Catan numbers and your post Catan numbers. Because this game definitely was one that it jacked up the numbers big time on on the number of people who are playing board games out there for sure. And I mean, honestly, it may not be so much now because there's been three or four like waves of just board gaming getting bigger and bigger and bigger. But it used to be five years ago if you talked to someone and said, what game got you into the hobby? Like nine out of ten people would say Catan or Catan. So, um, <laughs> I mean, yeah. definitely. And it was called Settlers of Catan. Um, so... 
at, at any rate, uh, yeah. And I mean, like, honestly, the hex tiles in this game, like, I don't know how many times I've played a game with people. Okay, so here's the thing about Catan. I switch and forth between the two names by the two pronunciations, too. Um, <laughs> I It's a huge pet peeve of mine. Like, when somebody who thinks they know what they're talking about with board games... Like, I'm kind to them still because I want to be the best diplomat for board gaming I can be. But <laughs> right, right, right. when somebody, when I explain a game, okay, so I'm explaining, let's say one of the games I'm talking about today, I'm like talking about custom custom heroes, you know? I'm talking about how you're crafting cards and, and building cards. They go, oh, so it's like Catan. What? <laughs> <laughs> no, it's not like Catan at all. So that's, I mean, like, and you get that a lot more <laughs> when you play a game that has hexes on it. So if there's ever hexes in a game, you can almost as, uh, assuredly account on the fact that Someone's going to go, oh, this is like a tan. No, <laughs> no. This is Memoir 44. What does this have to do with Catan? You know? So, I mean, yeah, yeah, yeah. that's one thing you definitely see. But, I mean, like, I don't know. It's it's definitely something that got people into the hobby for sure, 100%. It at its heart is it's a trading game. So, like, the yeah. trading game, you have to kind of understand what resources are worth based on what it costs to build things. And you have to be able to, like, kind of claim spots based on what you think is going to be rolled a lot. So you have to know probabilities. There's a lot of clever design in this game. And I think this game, I'm just going to go ahead and say it, Jason. This is going to surprise you, I think. Oh, man, I got to do it. This isn't going to be popular, Jason, but I got to give this a five-wrench rating. And here's why. I played this game 100 times, okay? I probably played it on tabletop 40 times, and I've played the iOS app probably 60 times. And it's an amazing game. I don't want to play it anymore. I don't own it anymore. I always am always right. looking at Goodwill stores or I'm always looking at like Target and Walmart who carry this game to see if they have it 75% off. Because if I could find a copy for 13 bucks, I'd definitely buy it again. It's definitely worth having that, having it for that. But I got rid of my copy a long time ago for I don't remember what. But uh, it was back in my big trading phase. Um, I don't own it anymore, but I think this game is really good. I really do think it's an excellent game. And I think if you talk to people who think it's not a good game or don't like it, it's because it's kind of cool to say Catan's not cool or not good. I mean, she's so edgy, you know, that kind of thing. But the other thing, too, is I think they're going to say, I don't like it because I've played it 100 times, like me, you know? So any game you're going to play 100 times, you have to have thought was a good game. You know what I mean? At some point. <laughs> right. So yeah, yeah. that's kind of where I'm going to leave it at, Jason. I don't know. What's your thoughts on overall, I guess, the game? Yeah, I would agree. Um, I probably wouldn't give it a five right now, but I used to play this game with Katie and her dad all the time. Like we played base game. We played with cities and knights a lot. I played it with my other buddy. We played like traders and barbarians and probably, I probably up there with you hitting a hundred times for sure. I played it so many times. So I'd probably give this game a four. I don't want to play Ooh. it now, but I'm, I respect it and it deserves a place in people's collections and I don't have it anymore, but I do have the star Trek version because I like that theme a little better. Well, so if I have too. a, to like, I'm well, getting yeah. oxygen and titanium or right. whatever the resources are in that. Right. So if I want to play the game, I'll just bust that one out and play with that. It's the same thing. It scratches the same itch. It's just cooler stuff to look at because you can see like Captain Kirk and Uhara and stuff and all that. So, but yeah, I would give it a four. It's definitely a good game and it's, I think that makes it Hall of Fame worthy as well. I think it does. It does. That's a little surprising. I'm sure to you, Jason. I'm sure you didn't think I was going to give it a five. No, I was thinking four all the way for sure. Yeah, I. I'm giving it the five just because it's such a legendary game in its past. And I would say in a vacuum, if that game came out today, it would be a three and a half uh, or, or three even. But given that it's what created so much behind it and after it, 
Uh, it's it's something that you just have to acknowledge is really great. And then the other thing too, I am going to give it a five, but here's the caveat. Because this game at its heart is a trading game and you have to have really good knowledge of basically, you have to have really good knowledge of um, like what things are worth and how things get built and what numbers get rolled. Because of that, people who have played this game a hundred times are going to have such a huge advantage on you if you're brand new to this game that it won't even be fun for you. So I remember the first time I played this game, oh man, back in like probably 2000 something, um, 2006 maybe, I don't know, um, probably even before that. I don't even know what year this game came out, but it was a long time ago um, that I played this game. And the first time I played it, the guy built a road all the way across the center of the map so no one else could build roads. <laughs> and it was because he knew exactly what he was doing. And he like right, did it yeah. incredibly fast, knew how to move the bandit or thief or whatever you call him really effectively knew exactly which spots were like the min maxed oh wool on a seven duh duh that's a no-brainer you know i mean like that kind of thing um and he destroyed us and there are definitely players out there who can do that and i to a degree can do that now not like he he could at that point but i can i know what's good and what's not good and if you're playing for the first time you're not going to know nearly as well as an experienced player so my my suggestion is don't go out and buy the 45 dollar box of this and i think it's actually like 59 MSRP probably. Don't go out and buy it. Buy the $4 app instead on iOS and play against the easy AI for a while. And if you really enjoy it and you think it's great, I think then you go buy the game. Or you buy the $4 app, you play it a few times and go, I respect this game. I respect what it did for the hobby. And I'm happy with a $4 app. I think that's the two ways you can go with it. Right. Yeah. I would agree with that. Yeah. Um, I think this is actually one of, one of the games that turned me off against like... Um, interaction games because so many times i'd play this game and people just wouldn't trade yeah or they would just be like jerks for the sake of being jerks where they clearly had nothing that they needed and you were going to give them three of what they needed yep but because you had it because you had eight points they're not going to trade you that sheep for that wood because you're going to win and i don't know just stuff like that like when, when my winning is dependent on that as much as it is dice rolling uh, that kind of turned that turned me off against some of those types of games for sure. Yeah, and then the dice rolling it does make it kind of a luck fest. So okay, let's talk real quick here, Jason. I know this is totally off script here, and I'm like throwing you for a loop. But let's think about some of the games that have come out of Catan. Like so, I'm immediately off the top of my head thinking of Machi Koro. Like that feels mm-hmm. a lot like Catan in that you roll the die and then whatever you have pays out. That's definitely right. something they took from Catan. Um, there was another game that I was just thinking of that was like, oh, man, that really takes from Catan too as well, the trading and all that stuff. And I don't remember what it is off the top of my head. I don't know of a game that's like it, but Takanoko's similar in some ways. With the, like It has the hex the hex grids, and it's got yeah. the little uh, panda that moves around kind of like the robber. And then it's got the, um, the die that you roll to affect the weather. So, I mean, it yeah. kind of does some of the similar things. And then you also are building canals, too, to, like, irrigate different places and stuff. So, right, I right, mean, definitely, there's, there's some influence there as well, I would say. Yeah, I, I've wondered how many games with hexes in them that someone, like, was like, my prototype of this, I'm going to take a Catan game and, like, modify it to make my prototype, <laughs> you know? Right, so. yeah. Yeah, I can see that. Well, this is uh, this is a good pick, Jason, to talk about, and I think it's probably long overdue for us to mention it. Um, so, oh man, our Hall of Fame, like it has as much credibility as the Hall of Fame for baseball <laughs> that doesn't include Pete Rose. So, um, yeah, 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 and that's that's a good one for you because you're an Ohio guy. You know, you got to put Pete in the Hall of Fame, right? I love Pete. Yep. So, um, the uh, the thing about this is, we're saying this game's Hall of Fame. 
based on its squeaks and based on my five rating and your four rating, but neither of us own the game. So uh, on that note, well, bring us home, Jason. I own a version of it. And I do too. I have so. Starfares at Catan. So this is going to make yeah, somebody right. punch them, punch their speaker right now or like want to like swallow their earbuds. A friend of mine knew I was in the board gaming, and he's like, hey, I've got this game that's never even been punched. He tagged me in this post. He said, I've got this game. It's never been punched. I bought it at a garage sale. I think I paid 15 bucks for it. I just wanted my money back out of it. And it was Starfarers of Catan. I was like, uh, nice. yes, please. I will take that for $15. <laughs> I was like, I'll give you 20 bucks for it. <laughs> yeah. So I own a pretty cool like pseudo grail game that I just lucked into, but I haven't played it yet, honestly, um, because it's it's... It's a much like I have like a little part of my shelf that's like like vintage games, like old games that are kind of a museum piece kind of thing. And it's in my museum pieces, but I do want to play it because it's just got such neat components in it. It's got like these spaceships with little like randomizing the balls come out in like random order and it just kind of how it randomizes things, I think it's a little different. And it's just got amazing components on it though. So um pretty cool. And I've heard actually a lot of people have have I don't even have it for trade, I just have it in my collection on board game geek. And I'll get once a month someone email me and say, Hey, are you interested in trading or selling this game? And then like they usually tell me like some like heart heart rending like narrative about my mom who isn't with me anymore loved this game so much and so I was hoping to honor her by owning a copy. Yeah, right, sure. Right, yeah. Uh, yeah no, but right. honestly, usually people are like, Oh, I didn't know this game was so cool and I played it at my friend's house and so I have heard people say it's really neat. It's like a lot different than Catan, but I don't know. Uh I, that's so I do own a copy, kinda. Yeah, I mean, I have owned a copy and three expansions, so I mean, I've done. Yeah, you know, <laughs> it's not like I've never had the game and then gave it a four rating anyway. <laughs> yeah, I mean, like, and I have owned it too. And like I said, if I could find a good deal on it, like I would definitely buy it. But if I had fifty bucks to spend on a game this moment right now, I'm not gonna buy that game for fifty bucks. I'm not sure what I would buy for fifty bucks right now, but I'm not buying that one. I know what I'd buy. I'd buy uh, Coimbria. But anyway. Oh, yeah, for sure. <laughs> I'm going to play that on Wednesday, I think. Are you? Yep. My buddy Chris is going to bring it over. You lucky dog. <laughs> yep. The Dice of the Mayan Calendar. That's the game, right? Coimbra is something different. Teo Tawakin is the Dice uh, of the Mayan Calendar. So so the Mayan, so that's the Mayan Calendar game. The Coimbra, though, has like definitely... like one of the. I just saw people playing it. I couldn't get in the demo line at Origins. It, one of the cooler things I thought about it was it has like a dice holder. Like So you roll these dice, and then you put them in a little base to like move them around the board and stuff. So I thought that was kind of neat. Yeah. Yeah, it is pretty neat. Well, hey, well, well, that, I guess I know, I know and everyone else who made it to <laughs> whatever we're at, minute 45 of this podcast, know what you're going to talk about that you played next week. So. Yep, that's true. Because you got to play it on Wednesday, which is two days before this is released. But that's just how we do it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> A little inside baseball. All right. Well, hey, uh, Jason, thanks for all your hard work on this one and uh, getting it put together. Uh, I I am trying my best. I'm like life is really busy for me for the next three weeks. And this podcast isn't as big a priority as I wish it was right now. But Jason's kind of carrying the, doing the heavy lifting and carrying the load. And I'm just hoping that my mobile podcasting unit is working as it should. And I think it is. So um, at any rate, when I'm, when I'm just uh, having a hard time finding time and space and whatever to record, this is uh, a, good, a good chance for me to break out the mobile unit. So I hope I sound okay. Yeah, sounds good. We'll make it sound good. You better. OCD. <laughs> yeah. All right. Uh, let's see if I find time to play some games this week.
Yeah, I'm sure you will. I hope I'm so. I'm sure you will. I hope so. All right. Thanks, Jason. I've been Joel. Yeah, I'm Jason. See you guys later. And like, so if you go to boardgameprices.com, uh, who's our newest sponsor just as of now, because I mentioned your name. So in <laughs> perpetuity, awesome. you are now our sponsor. So find good ad revenue for us, board game prices. No, actually what they should do in response for me mentioning them is like, it should list all the prices and then it should have like board game mechanics. Talk about this one. It's free to listen. So it like says like the price is free. So I mean like... uh to come listen to our podcast. All right. So speaking of awesome editing, Jason probably got that out of there.